I'm Dana Davenport, and welcome to Finding Common Ground, a new show on Naperville Community Television focused on important current events and how they impact our diverse population. We are many voices of one community, often with strong opinions on every side of an issue. Here, through courageous conversation, in the interest of discovering collaborative solutions, we hope to find our common ground. And I'm Rebecca Malaki meslin In this episode, we'll discuss the recent rallies, protests, and riots happening right here in Naperville in response to the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota at the hands of police. We'll speak to those on the front lines of the protests who are trying to bring about change and trying to find common ground. Joining us for this episode, I'd like to introduce Regina Brent. How are you today? I'm fine, Dana. Thank you for inviting me to the show today. We're so happy to have you here. You are the founder and president of Unity Partnership. Yes, I am. Unity Partnership was created in order to defuse situations such as uh, implicit biases uh, against the community. Uh, we had several incidents that happened with Sandra Bland and many other people who had originated from this lay of the land. And so we want to use Unity Partnership as a preventive measure to get to know the police chiefs in the area, uh, government, and also school administrators. And so that's why Unity Partnership was created. How long ago was Unity Partnership created? Unity Partnership came into play three years ago right in the parking lot with Chief Anderson and myself having a conversation about the fact that uh, Sandra Bland died needlessly. As a matter of fact, he was the uh, chief who handled the procession from our church, which is DuPage AME Church yeah. located in Lyle. And at that point in time, I could see the emotions in his face, how he felt that it, an injustice possibly had happened. And at that point in time is when I it greeted him and asked him, would he mind having a cup of coffee? And from that day in January, I'm sorry, in June of 2016, we have been partners and friends and we have served in the brotherhood and sisterhood of one another ever since. Wow, that's great. And I'd like to welcome Naperville Police Chief Bob Marshall. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me along with uh, Regina. They have this very important dialogue. Uh, so I've been a police officer with the city of Naperville for over uh, 35 years, uh, police chief since 2012. So I pretty much have held every single rank in the police department from police officer to detective, sergeant, a commander, uh, deputy chief, and then uh, appointed police chief in 2012. Uh, attended many uh, uh, advanced educational opportunities, FBI Academy, senior management, uh, senior management Institute for Police in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, as well as uh, my bachelor's degrees in law enforcement from Western Illinois University, and I have a master's degree in public administration from DePaul University. I'm a proud father of uh, four children, and my wife, Barb, we've lived in Naperville since the 1980s. So I've raised four children here, part of the community, again, since I first started as a police officer here. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about the Naperville Police Department? How big is it? How many officers um, and how many counties do you cover? We cover two counties, DuPage County and as well as Will County. We have 173 sworn officers and another 100 non-sworn uh, police personnel. And that's typically our, our dispatch center, uh, our records personnel, as well as our crime analysis unit. And again, uh, 173 officers, but that includes uh, officers, sergeants, commanders, deputy chiefs, and myself as the, the chief in the 173 sworn. 
Now you two have have history, right? You guys know each other. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in this uh, area of DuPage County, I moved out here from Chicago in 2000. I retired from the Illinois Attorney General's office of 30 years. I had served four mayors of the city of Chicago. I had served four attorney generals. I left there as a retiree of advocacy. I was an advocate. I was an uh, activist in Chicago and also a mediator on behalf of all parties concerned when there was a complaint of any kind. I thought perhaps that uh, now that I'm out here in Pleasantville, <laughs> that I would basically get to know the lay of the land, right. only to find out certain things that were happening that was not pleasing to the fact that I had moved my family out here. And I wanted to know what I had subjected myself to. And the only way you can know the lay of the land is get in touch with people who runs the land. And the people who run the land is generally the government, uh, law enforcement, and the school administrators. And so I made it a point to go and meet uh, Chief, An Chief Anderson, first of all, and uh, Chief uh, Marshall, because I, w I am part of the Naperville Township. I'm a resident of the Naperville Township. And in getting to know Chief Marshall, I saw that he had a great deal of concern about partnering the police department with the community. Mm -hmm. And we thought about it, and we sit down and we talked about it, and we asked one another, so what can we do to make that happen? Well, of course, he wanted to see if he had the funding to help with the children of, from low-income areas, African-American children. So him, myself, and Ron Allen got together. Uh, he said, how about shop with a cop? How about that? On one occasion at Target, there was a woman who was there with six children, and the police officers all shopped with the children. Chief Marshall would was going to escort them to the car, and he realized this woman didn't have a coat. This is like 30-degree weather in December. And what did you do? Well, we got together, and because what was in their uh, shopping cart was all toys and things like that. Right. For the it children. For the children, and mm -hmm. it, it wasn't, wasn't closed. So I walked her back in, and I said, we got to go shopping again. <laughs> so we went and, and got some coats for, the, for herself and her children. Sure, and there is not a time that I can call him that he does not respond. Uh, we have had bowling activities. We have uh, barbecues for the children. Uh, 360 Youth Services have been involved with us. And his rank and file and himself, they come out and they're very active with the children in the community. And now he leaves the park, not being called Chief Marshall, but Uncle Bob or Bob or Mr. Bob or whatever. <laughs> he has all uh, kinds of names. He has all <laughs> kinds of names. So that's building a relationship and a rapport with the community. Which is so important. Yeah, I was just gonna say, so as all of these events started to transpire nationally, mm -hmm. I think most of us felt like um, we were gonna feel that at home too. And I'm sure, you know, in the work that you do and the work that you do, right, uh, this was gonna come home. And so I know, Regina, that you organized the first rally in Naperville. Yes. So talk us through maybe a little bit about what was going through your mind, but also uh, what were those initial reactions about how you were gonna get police involvement uh, in that initial rally and, and what would then turn into uh, other activities in the community? I do believe that I posted something on my Facebook regarding, okay, it's time. It's time for, because so many incidents had happened out here, not only regarding uh, some type of improper behavior 
coming from the police department, but also from the community itself. I mean, on Monday, late, um, Memorial Day, we woke up to white privilege signs being posted by Welch Elementary School. That was the kickoff of that week when we saw that we were not welcome to this community as a whole or as a race of a people. And so I saw the nas national news, all the protests that had begun. Uh, I thought, you know, people are going to look at us, your unity partnership. You say you're here to make the community better. You say you're here to build relationships and partnerships. Well, where are you and where is the police that mm -hmm. we've been having this rapport with? And I thought perhaps we need a rally. We need to ask the law officers to come out, stand with us, let us know that we're protected in this community because we are taxpayers and we deserve the right to be protected. And so I called uh, Chief Marshall and uh, he said he would send a few guys over to represent the Naperville Police Department, not only the Naperville Police Department, but there was several chiefs that were uh, asked to come out and stand with us in solidarity. And so beside the Naperville Police, uh, Chief Brian Cunningham from Woodridge, Illinois, showed up with his entire family uh, to let us know that he empathized with us, that he feel our pain, and that we have a right to have a voice out there. And we did it at the Caroline, and uh, Chief Marshall had the Park District to come over and set up a podium for us so that we can look legit <laughs> and uh, so that we can have the access to what it is we need to get our message across. Chief Marshall, can you tell us your from your version mm -hmm. um, when you received the call yeah. from Regina and, and sure. kind of what was your response and thought about sure. all of this? There have been, um, I think, more instances of, of racially charged um, either crimes or, or things that have happened. Mm -hmm. so we, our first episode of Finding Common Ground was about racism during this COVID pandemic. Right. And so um, did you feel like it was time or were you expecting a call at some point uh, you know, well, about, about taking a stand? Uh, I knew something was gonna happen as soon as I saw the video from Minneapolis about uh, the murder of George Floyd. And you know, I was appalled by the actions that that police officer took. And immediately I thought, this officer has disgraced himself, but every member of law enforcement. So this badge here, he tarnished this badge by his action. And so I wasn't surprised with the demonstrations that happened then and continue to happen to this day. So uh, I remember that day in the afternoon, I was sitting out in my backyard and uh, I got a call from Regina and it wasn't Chief, it was Bob. I need some help. We're gonna organize this rally. Uh, we talked about where we we, picked, we thought the Caroline would be a nice place for them to express, you know, their First Amendment rights. Okay. And I wanted to make sure that since the, that is Park District property, I wanted to make sure that we contacted the Park District and that Regina had what she needed to hold that rally, which was a podium, amplifier system, and whatever she needed mm -hmm. to ensure that this this rally would would meet her expectations. Sure, and not to mention the Liberty Bell is there. Right. It says life, liberty, liberty, and justice for all. And that's what we wanted, to stand in the light of life, liberty, and justice, to say that we have a right to be in this lay of the land because our ancestors arrived here many, many years ago. And we have great contributions that we have contributed to this, this DuPage County. As a matter of fact, when I was running for office out here in uh, DuPage County, I realized the only way to get any respect is to be acknowledged. 
So I went to Dan Cronin, Chairman Dan Cronin of the DuPage County Board, and I spoke with the members there. I wanted two Democrats and I wanted two Republicans to work on a proclamation, mm -hmm. a resolution that would develop into a proclamation for the first time ever in DuPage County because we have to be acknowledged to say that we stopped, dropped, and rolled through here back in the 1800s. And there were some great abolitionists who f helped to free us so that we could go on as a people. And that's what happened. That proclamation was established in 2016, April of 2016. And I have to say that the Republican members, as well as the Democratic members, had a collaboration of getting this resolution passed. And that's what we have on file this day. So after that rally, which was really beautiful, you had so many amazing speakers that came out that yes. spoke from a variety of organizations, really standing in solidarity. Oh, yes. And that's what I saw. You had people from the Islamic Center of Naperville. Mm -hmm. You had uh, county board members. You had people from the NAACP, um, all really truly representing and saying we're standing you know, arm in arm together, side by side, mm -hmm. um, to say that this is an injustice and that um, we're here to take a stand. Mm -hmm. um, as police chief, when you hear these messages and you see the solidarity coming mm -hmm. out, um, but also know that um, that there was going to be some steps after that, that there was going to be maybe rather than a rally, right? And we're talking maybe a little bit about the difference between a rally and a protest that we talked about devolving into um, riots. Yeah. Um, as police chief, what what is your response, um, both as you know a person, a father, a member of our community, as well as what do you feel like is your professional obligation and preparation for what's coming? Well, well, first of all, it's our responsibility to protect freedom of speech, individuals' First Amendment rights, and we want to make sure that we do that safely. So that's why it's so important for us to, to meet with organizers so we can work together collaboratively to, to make, make their expectations actually come to fruition. So that's the first thing we do, protect their rights, make sure that when they're when they're walking, when they're marching in the streets, we know where they're going so we can provide them the protection that they uh, rightly deserve, again, so they can express their First Amendment rights. So that's what we put together. But we also, uh, and, and we, we want these protests, these rallies to be nonviolent. Uh, but we also have to prepare for the possibility that a, a, a peaceful rally, a nonviolent rally, could also uh, develop into violence, which did incur last Monday. And we had an operational plan in place, and uh, that was heartbreaking for me as a Naperville resident to, 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 to see the beginning of that protest, that rally, which Regina was a part of. They actually came by the police department. And then that evolved into agitators somehow inserting themselves within the crowd to stir up the crowd and then as darkness came, uh, that group spread into our downtown and committed acts of violence. Now those weren't lawful uh, protesters. They were agitators here in Naperville to commit crimes. And we as a police department, we prepared the best we could for that outcome. Uh, one, of the, one of the challenges we faced is that when we asked for uh, additional resources from other law enforcement uh, organizations, they were all protecting their communities because some of our information was that these 
protests, some of them did evolve into violence. And all you had to do was look at the, the city of Chicago and what happened there. So we knew that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. So we prepared our department the best we could to uh, ensure you know, a lawful assembly, but then we also have to be prepared to react to what actually happens. And what happened then was uh, obviously uh, social unrest. Mm -hmm. And it was such an uneasy time. Um, I believe shortly before that, there had been rioting in Aurora, correct? Where there were, there were rallies and, and protests that had devolved again into mm -hmm. violence. Just the, I think it was the day before that, that it happened here. Um, I want to go back to um, the, the peaceful aspects of the rally that Monday, June 1st, when uh, there, was, there was a bit of a confrontation where the protesters were looking for the policemen to kneel, right? And, and policemen had been assigned to be there to protect, right? Mm -hmm. So um, can we talk a little bit about that? Because I think in terms of keeping safety, right? Right. You know, kneeling may put them in more of a vulnerable right. position. But can we talk about you know each side and kind of what what the expectation was um, and what uh, some of the duty and the, and the job obligations of the police officers are, even in solidarity mm -hmm. and and providing safety? Because I think that's worth explaining. Sure. So so initially, and you kind of talked about officer safety when we're in in a situation like that. Officers are never trained to kneel for their own protection of the, the, their selves and, uh, and their own safety. So, so I, I, I considered the kneeling part and, and, I, and I thought about that long and hard. And I thought, what did that Minneapolis police officer do to George Floyd? Right. He kneeled on his neck right. for over eight minutes, yes. which resulted in his murder. And I didn't want that kneeling to be associated with the Naperville police officer and have somebody use that right. to say, look at the police. Right. Right. They, they do exactly what that Minnesota officer mm -hmm. did. They kneel. So one of the things our officers did do, they raised their arms in solidarity. And I was very proud of them for doing that. Yeah. So what I would like to say in reference to the kneeling um, procedure, and that is the fact that uh, you have to look at our culture to basically understand what it means about kneeling uh, when it comes to an African-American. Uh, we've often said that the white man has had his foot on our necks mm. for so many years. Um, now he has his knee on our necks and it's bringing us to death. Uh, the kneeling also is a form of empathy that the young people would like to see coming from law enforcement. You know my pain. You can identify with my, my pain. Uh, you can also say that you understand why I need you to, to kneel with me. Uh, the kneeling also come from our culture of praying. Yeah. We kneel to pray. That's um, in many different cultures. In right? many different cultures, and you religions. take a knee to kneel. But I think what it stemmed from is Kaepernick. Yes. when Kaepernick took the knee and it wasn't welcomed and people looked at it as an injustice to the flag. Uh, he was ostracized. His career was ruined because he took a knee. Now the NFL owner, I'm not that savvy with sports, <laughs> but I, you may know who he commissioner. is. Yeah. Yeah. Chief, the commissioner, is, the, the commissioner. The commissioner of the NFL, right? Yes, yes. He understands now. Roger Goodell. Yes. Roger Goodell. He understands now the kneeling 
the knee why Kaepernick did what he did. And it was a protest against black men and black boys being killed all over America. But then, in order to keep these young people in mind and to keep them safe, and you know, I promised you that I would do that, when I saw them trying to provoke the police to kneel, I had to use a little reverse psychology, just for a moment. Tell us what you did. It was the day of the funeral. It was the day of George Floyd's funeral. And I asked them to respect that. I asked them, instead of them kneeling, instead of you provoking them to kneel, how about you take, you ask them to take a stand? Not today, but take a stand whenever your fellow officer is abusing a citizen, when your fellow officer is performing an injustice physically on an arrestee, ask them to take a stand and say, no, don't do that. It's wrong. Because if they had done that the day that George Floyd was on that ground, he may have been here today. And so I asked them, let's pray. Young people don't like to pray well. They don't know anything about that, so we did. And the police prayed with us. And I asked the police, your rank and file, I said, if you're in agreement with a prayer, raise your fist. And they raised their fist and the crowd went wild because they then knew that the rank and file felt their pain, heard their voice, and it was magnificent. I said, now we will stand and we will march out of here peacefully with dignity in honor of George Floyd. And this is what I want you to chant as you leave these premises. I want you to say, rest in peace, George Floyd. And that's how they left the streets. You know, what I'd like to also add to the comment I just made, and that is Sometimes the presence of police with AK-47s or shotguns or fatigues can pretty much intimidate um, protesters. They feel threatened. If they're, watch if they're marching peacefully, I'll put it that way. Right. And while I do understand that law enforcement have to be able to protect themselves while they are out there, that's why I suggested to Mayor Cherico and to the Park District Chief that the rank and file should not kneel, just the mayor and the chief. Because even I was afraid that even though they were following some of my commands, that they could bomb rush us into the police department's wall and there would be no one to protect us. And so that's why I asked that the rank and file remain standing. But when you see police officers on the rooftops and you're marching peacefully, and you see a convoy come down the street with soldiers and rifles, that can really kick something off. And that's why I jumped up and I ran between the crowd and the police. And I said, no, you won't, not today, because there was a young man, a black kid, a couple of them actually, that was trying to provoke the police to engage them Mm -hmm. and the police wouldn't do it. And that's when I told them, no, 
you will not dishonor the day of George Floyd's funeral. And so it went well from there. They were able to leave and that's how I was able to diffuse. I'm not a hero by far. I don't consider myself as someone who is invincible that cannot be harmed or hurt. But I am experiencing now on my website negative comments, calling mm -hmm. me out of my name, things like that, mm -hmm. because I've been visible. But I go as a spiritual person, I follow my heart and my mind, and I know that Bob have people out there that's gonna defend us and protect us whenever he asks us to go out on his behalf. I don't worry about that. And I know that they would lay down their life for me to make sure that nothing happens to me. And that's why I have that type of security to know that I'm working with the right people, in spite of the fact that policemen uh, across the nation have acted with injustices. Chief Marshall, mm -hmm. your response, what, what do you, are you hopeful about the future? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, uh, the reason we created this partnership with uh, Unity Partnership, as well as ICN, which is the Islamic, Islamic Center of Naperville, uh, the Chinese American community, is we wanna understand, seek to understand before being understood. And the only way you, you can do that is listen, right? So I, I will never you know, give up hope that, that we're gonna learn from these experiences. We're gonna learn from, from this violence. We're gonna learn uh, how we can improve policing. You know, one of the things that pains me is, you know, the many years, three years, we've been working with Unity Partnership and the act of this one police officer, and there's been others, that erode that trust that we work so hard in law enforcement to build with our minority communities. And it, it just pains me when, when this kind of stuff happens because the majority of police officers throughout this country are honorable individuals who are here to, to serve and protect. And uh, just to add to what, what Regina said about uh, when she was talking to our officers about if you see another officer doing something inappropriate, we have in our policy a duty to intervene, something they didn't have in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that stood out about that Minneapolis incident to me is as I watched all those videos and I watched officers standing around doing nothing, what was absent? No supervisors, no commanders were on that scene that I saw. There were other officers. And one of the things we have in the, in the Naperville Police Department is there are certain calls, domestic violence, uh, incidents, where we're, we're making an arrest like what happened in Minneapolis, it's mandatory that a supervisor responds. Because we know, based on data, that if a supervisor's on that scene, incidents of use of force dramatically are reduced. Mm -hmm. So we've implemented that in our police department, that a supervisor is, and that's a sergeant or sometimes a commander, goes to those calls so they can take control. Nobody was given any direction there. People were on their own. And two of those officers, unbelievably, had just, it was like their second or third second day, third day yeah. and were trained by the officer who ended up killing George Floyd. That's right. Unbelievable. And to speak about his background and something that we are very conscious of in law enforcement is, how can a police officer that has 17 complaints still be on the force? Yes. Two were involved in shootings. How does that happen? That's unacceptable. They're protected. The duty to intervene. Um, the complaints, the policies, all of those things are, are very important for us to explore. We will take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about that on Finding Common Ground.
Welcome back to Finding Common Ground. Again, we're here with Chief Marshall and Regina Brent. And this segment, we wanna talk a little bit more about the Naperville Police Department. Uh, Chief Marshall, I know you've been getting a lot of emails mm -hmm. um, from your community, I'm sure from, from lots of different constituents. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to hear about what you're hearing from the community and um, let us hear directly from you what is going on in the Naperville Police Department right now? And what does that structure look like? And how are you responding to a lot of the inquiries and questions about what your police department is doing? So first of all, I'm, I'm doing a lot of listening to our residents and they're not bashful about providing me <laughs> with feedback on how to police the community. So, uh, so some of their comments uh, I agree with, and we're looking as a police staff always to get better. One of our models in our police department is continuous improvement. So, so some of the uh, residents that I'm hearing from are suggesting that on Monday's protest, last Monday, that we should have used more force. But our objective, our mission is to protect life first. Additionally, I, I've received feedback about how we handled Friday's protest and why we, uh, issued three orders to disperse based on what was happening there. So I've, I've responded to all those questions and I still have quite a few emails, over 100 to respond and about 20, 25 calls to go back. So basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm getting feedback, I'm listening to the residents' concerns and then I'm providing you know, an expl explanation as to the actions we took and why we took those actions. Can you talk about some of the policies? Because I think there's a lot of questions. I know from the murder of George Floyd, for example, mm -hmm. um, there was conversation or, or question with respect to the use of excessive force. Can you explain excessive force um, and the policy and, and what that means? So, so we actually call it in our policy response to resistance. So we changed the name from use of force because I didn't want the community to think that police officers drive around looking for opportunities to use force. That's not what we do. We respond to resistance. So basically our, our, our policy is, is based on reasonable and necessary force to make a, make a lawful arrest to protect the officer and to protect others. And that's guided by the U.S. Constitution, Illinois state law, case law, as well as our police policy. So I can talk a little bit about our policy, and this is what I would recommend, because we're talking about reform, and we'll probably get there maybe a little bit later on in this segment, is uh, our department has been accredited by the Commission for Law Enforcement Accreditation nine times since 1992. And so one of the things that I'm seeing in other police departments is that they don't have, a, they're not accredited. What that, what that means is that just recently we had to abide by close to 700 standards. And now this is a national organization. So our policies are regularly updated by an outside organization that come in and do an assessment on our police department to look at our policies, make sure they're current within law, and most importantly, that we're in compliance with those policies. So when I saw that the Minneapolis Police Department still had chokeholds and neck restraints in their policies, we eliminated that years ago through our accreditation process. But not everybody has to go through that accreditation, no. right? So that's and a I choice think, that you make. And we're talking about reform. I think that's one of the things that we need to do as a law enforcement agency throughout our country. I mean, if you go to Naperville, we have a policy on pursuit driving, for example. You could drive to another community 
in, in Illinois, and it can be a, a completely different policy. Mm. So we need to standardize police policies, not only in this state, but across the country. And Bob, may I ask you too, that uh, CALEA policy, mm -hmm. that CALEA accreditation that you receive is based on the feedback from the community, is that correct? Absolutely, and Re Regina was contacted. Regina actually wrote a letter when the assessors came on site for a week in, uh, uh, I think it was November of 2019, to assess our department. So what they do, they, they go through our policies and procedures, but they also hold an open forum. Mm -hmm. They take questions from the community. And when the four assessors came into the Naperville, I met with them initially, I said, here's what I'd like you to do. Go downtown Naperville. Don't say who you are. Say we're from out of town. How does the police department treat you? And they did that and they came back uh, with, to me with their feedback. So they randomly walked in our downtown and said, by, by the way, I'm thinking about moving to Naperville. Mm -hmm. How's the police department? And we got very positive comments, but they also take uh, comments from the, the community members by phone call, or they can actually visit the assessors. So but that's about transparency. Yeah. Yeah. So are but the as policies you know, the same yes. um, in Naperville as, or DuPage and, and Will County as they are in different other counties in the state, or do they vary? They vary. And, and that's, that's what I think we in law enforcement, and I'm a member of Illinois Chiefs, I'm also a member of the International Association of Police Chiefs. And that's one of the things that we are spearheading is that we gotta get more consistency. So our residents, so the community knows what's acceptable in this community mm -hmm. is consistent with what the next community is. We don't have that now. It's decentralized. We need to centralize police policy throughout the nation. But may I say something in reference to the African-American community? There's a double-edged sword at times. While we walk while black, talk while black, drive by black, while black, and stop by some police officers, there's a different, uh, the, the treatment is a disproportionate a treatment when it comes to white privilege opposed to blacks. And that's what our community is concerned about. The message that they're sending to our community is that we are not respected as a race of people. Therefore, as you saw in the East, where the white woman called the police <coughs> on the gentleman who was black that was bird watching mm -hmm. the Central in Central Park. Park. Yeah. The same day yes, that George Floyd was The same was day killed. that George Floyd was killed. She was able, because of her white privilege, called the police department to say that she was being threatened and attacked by a black man. So this is what I'm saying. When it comes to our community, we are very much concerned about the fact that we are being treated a little differently, much differently sometimes, than the average citizen uh, in Naperville. I've had young uh, students come to me to say that they were down in Naperville, they were skateboarding, they were asked to leave. Uh, sometimes they were down there with their group of, of uh, friends. And because they were a little loud or something, they were asked to leave. And so those are the things that we hear back from the community as unity partnership. And that's why we try to get the community to join our efforts, become a member of Unity Partnership, because I know that I can go to Bob and I can tell him these things are happening, but I need their support also to do that. There's another deterrent that serves a bad purpose on behalf of the law enforcement department, and that's just not Naperville, it's all over the globe. And that is the intimidation of a complaint form. We researched the complaint process to find out, is it easy access? Is the complaint form transparent? Can we file online? if we're afraid to go into the police stations to file, only to find out there's some departments who have easy access to that complaint form, but they all have that affidavit policy on it that says that if you lie or 
falsify a report, you will be uh, incarcerated, arrested, and you also serve have to pay a fine. So there comes a fear with just reporting because if it can't be proven. If it can't be proven, and I always tell people if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. It's simple as that. And that young lady that was out in New York in Central Park, she called the police department and she filed a report over the phone and it was fictitious and nothing happened. So that's where we have to get back to the drawing board with our stakeholders, our police partners, sit down and talk at the table about how it is we can diffuse the situations of the fear that African-Americans are encountering at this point in time, because we don't feel safe, not only on our streets, we send our children to schools in this DuPage County area, and they're not healthy because they're being written up, and it's justifiably by the school resource officers, but there's the principal who gives a fictitious story with some of the children who have inflicted bad behavior on black children. And it turns out black children are being punished for that. Chief Marshal, let's talk a little bit about the types of training uh -huh. that officers undergo, um, whether it be bias training, um, some of the mental health checkpoints, um, but, but what goes into some of the training to address some of the things that, that Regina has mentioned and just overall with, with how police operate on duty. Yeah, my, my favorite topic, train, train, train. <laughs> so when I became chief in 2012, the first thing I did is I looked at the, the amount of training our officers got. I grew up playing sports, so I know the importance of training yes. and muscle memory. On a regular memory. basis. On a regular basis. Practice and that means muscle, permanent. You got there you it, go. you got it. So mm -hmm. when I did, did an analysis, I found that our department in 2012, uh, our training budget was $35,000. Remember, you know we're talking about close to 300 people. Uh, our officers were averaging probably about 20 hours of training per year. And I'm proud to announce today that our budget is over $200,000 for training. Our officers are now receiving between 80 and 100 hours of training per year. Uh, we implemented in-service training, which means every single year, all of our officers go through go through mandatory training. And with some of that mandatory training, and Re Regina was just part of this in 2018, mm -hmm. when we brought in a, a, a trainer to, to, uh, from the Fair and Impartial Policing Group that taught us implicit and explicit bias. So we partnered with the Aurora Police Department's command staff, our command staff, and members of the community. They went through two days of this training. That was in 2018. 2019, last year, the entire Naperville Police Department went through implicit and explicit bias training. So training is number one on my priority as, as terms of the police chief. We also have gone through crisis intervention training. Our police department has experienced a dramatic increase in mental health calls. Uh, five years ago, we had 300 mental health related calls. And those are calls of officers or the No, are these are community the members okay. that are calling us and they have mental health issues. Yes. It may be drug related, it may be an emotional suicidal. issue, suicidal. Yeah. So we put all those together. Right now we're close to 1,000 calls. Yeah. So yeah. we knew we needed to train our officers how to deescalate mm -hmm. those types of situations. So uh, four years ago, we changed our training model and we go, go to, we call it a scenario-based de-escalation training. So we take real-life situations that have occurred in Naperville and the surrounding areas, and we use those as training. And we use the old public works facility right on 
uh, near the railroad tracks there on Loomis. And we would go in there scenario-based and we would have actors, our interns would actually play you know, members of our community and we'd actually do traffic stops and an individual, one that I witnessed, the individual would come out, mental health situation, had a knife, and the officers were taught, how are you gonna de-escalate that? Right. How, what what you, other right. Not area, just reading in a book, but using not reading real life. In a book, real life situations, right. in addition to the training, we have to provide uh, the equipment to de-escalate. Yeah. So one of the things we have in our department is uh, less than lethal shotguns, for example. So we don't have to use, our officers don't want to use deadly force in yes. a mental health situation or any situation. So we had a situation where an individual came at our officers with a knife and a screwdriver and rather than using deadly force, mm -hmm. based on the law, based on the video that I saw in this situation, our officers could have used deadly force. Right. He was approaching our officers with a screwdriver and a knife. Mm -hmm. They used less than lethal, which was a beanbag from a shotgun, to put that person down, save his life, get him to the hospital, and get him the help he needs. So that's an example of uh, de-escalation training that our officers go through uh, routinely every single year. I think along the lines of training uh, I think it's also important, and it's great to hear from you on that, because I think a lot of times people question the type of training that, that officers have, and I think the good officers are very well-trained and recall that training when they're out working in the field. Um, but sometimes there are complaints, and we had talked about um, how the officers who killed George Floyd, um, Officer Chauvin, had many complaints, previous complaints that weren't adequately dealt with. Can you talk about how you deal with complaints um, Absolutely. in your department? And, yeah, and Regina talked about the process we have in place, which is the, the, the affidavit. And you know, I have in, in that reports directly to me in the Office of Professional Standards, a commander that reports directly to me. And you know, I understand that if you're gonna file a complaint about a police officer, do you want to go to the police department and maybe encounter that officer or another right. officer you're going to complain about? I absolutely understand that. So we have an online way to file complaints. Our commander has gone out in the community because people will call and say, you know, I'm really uncomfortable coming to the police department to file this complaint. Where do you want to meet? We've met at Starbucks. We've met at, you know, their home to take that complaint. So. You know, I understand that. And then we have an accountability piece. And again, that's through our policies and procedures. But I understand as the police chief that sometimes we have to part ways with officers who violate policies, procedures, use force when they shouldn't. So in my experience as the police chief, I've had to part ways with officers that are no longer on this police department because they have violated policy. They have violated individuals' constitutional rights. They no longer work for the police department. And one of the reforms that I want to talk to, that I've already talked to uh, legislators about, and I haven't been able to get any traction, so maybe now I can get some traction on once an officer has to, we fire an officer, their certification from the state of Illinois training board must be revoked. Because what happens? They go to other police departments. Mm -hmm. That is reform. Mm -hmm. We as police chiefs, don't want officers that we've fired to get back on the force. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is legislation that needs to happen down in Springfield. Thank you so much for that explanation. I think that's really helpful for so many of our community members and community organizers to understand. Yes, yes. and that was something We're, that Bob shared with Unity Partnership uh, 20, in 2016, that he would put them on the do not hire list if something like that would ever happen out here in Naperville. But I want to say implicit bias may not change your mind, but it will make you accountable for what you do. That's right. 
That's right. And we're going to talk about some reforms um, and we're going to talk about some of the future of our community when we come right back on Finding Common Ground. back to Finding Common Ground, where we're here once again with Chief Marshall and Regina Brent from the Unity Partnership. Congressional Black Caucus Chair Karen Bass said that a profession where you have the power to kill should be a profession where you have highly trained officers accountable to the public. The U.S. Democrats in Congress have just introduced a sweeping police reform bill, and we would like to talk about different aspects of that bill. So the bill places more limits on legal protections for police. It creates a national database of excessive force. It also bans chokeholds and talks about limited qualified immunity. So could you respond to some of those requests um, in that piece of legislation? Yes. So while we know that there is a great deal of overly excessive force that takes place in the black community, we have to come to a conclusion that something has to be done about it, right? So. That's what the legislators are doing now. They're saying we need to come up with some low-hanging fruit items, policies that we can address right now to prohibit this type of police uh, abuse from happening ever again. Because as we sit here today and speak about these conversations that are taking place, we know that there's possibility or probability that a black man or a black boy or a woman could be taken down by police unjustifiably. So yes, I'm with the um, chokeholds being eliminated. I think that should have been a universal policy in the first place. Uh, as Bob said, he was very surprised to see what he saw on the video that that was still taking place. Also, we need to look at the fact that they need to become accountable for one another. The police intervention is very important because if I'm with you and I'm working on the same beat and I see something takes place that is not justifiable, then if I know I'm going to lose my job and I have a home and a family to take care of, I'm going to speak up. They always say to the community, when you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to make applicable to them. See something, you say something. The other thing is, uh, the pretty much the funding, uh, and we're going to get to that, I understand, about what police should do and can do with funding. I think we are going to start trying to, uh, Unity Partnership will certainly continue to do what we have to do with workshops, uh, traffic workshops, uh, use of force, those kind of things to keep educating our communities from the information that's fed down from the local police departments. Chief Marshall, do you want to respond to the reform? Uh, you, mm -hmm. you have some own, you have some of your own ideas in mind. I do. Um, if you want yeah. to share some of the things. You've been in this job and in this position for a long time. Yeah. So can you respond to some of the national uh, reform suggestions, but also some of your own and some yeah. of the things that you would like to change? Well, I, I, I'll actually go back to when President Obama put, the, put his task force together with members of law enforcement, members of the community, and he came up with uh, his six pillars for law enforcement on 21st century policing. We as a police department adopted that right away. And we opened up our department to community members that came in and looked at our department and said, how are we gonna implement these six pillars within our organization? We did that four or five years ago. So this is a continuation. This reform bill is a continuation of what 
President Obama and his task force did four or five years ago. So I think we can need to build on that. So it's great to have policies and legislation. That's all good stuff, right? But unless you train your officers to those policies right. or legislations, they're just words on a piece of paper. Yes. So that's why yes. it's so important to train our officers and have mandatory training. Some of our departments that we work with don't have mandatory training. Yes, uh, that's correct. And that must happen. Yes. Policies, and, procedures, mandatory training. And training often, right? Yes. That's training what you often. Said, like in sports. Yes. And every day. Yeah, every day. No you're resting training. on your laurels, right? And Dana, right. may I add one other thing that's not been uh, mentioned in this conversation? That is body cams. Unity Partnership will be pushing for body cams for DuPage County because I do understand that the trust factor is there for the police to say that I'm a good cop, I wouldn't do anything wrong, and we understand that. There are many good cap cops in DuPage County. However, I think the body cams will serve as a preventive measure of these type of injustices from happening. In other words, the body cam is not only for the citizen, but it's also for the police officer because there are citizens who go in and they really do file false reports against officers for one reason or another. But the other part of it is it will also serve as a benefactor for what's happening today in the community. And that is, we'll see what happens full-fledged like we saw when we saw George Floyd laying on that ground, begging do, for his life. Do officers carry audio today? Yes, what we have is we have an in-car video and audio system. Yep. So all of our officers are equipped with a with a body microphone. Yep. The cameras are within the squad cars right yep. now. I mm -hmm. understand that comes down to some of the data storage and, and other policies and the expense of that. Yes. Right. Speaking yes. of expense, um, I, there's an interesting story because I think uh, in Minnesota, uh, they're looking at defunding the Minneapolis Police Department for obvious reasons. And right. there was an interesting story about the Camden, New Jersey Police Department that was actually defunded seven years ago mm -hmm. in Camden, New Jersey. They realized that there was a ton of corruption that um, warranted just throwing the whole department out right. and starting over and, and getting new funding, getting new people in. And as a result, yeah, they saw a 40% reduction in crime. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the interesting things about that article too was talking about when uh, new officers are introduced to the police force. They go out onto their beat or their neighborhoods and they introduce themselves to all of the community members so that the community members then start building that trust, right? It's those mm -hmm. early conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's really amazing how that was dismantled. So, you know, as you hear the idea of defunding the police, yeah. you know, what, what is your response to that? Or how does, how would, how does that look? Well, you know, I really need to understand what exactly that that means in mm -hmm. terms of defunding mm -hmm. police departments. Uh, but I think what you already do, yeah. which is the, the baseline of this, is community. Yeah. You've talked earlier about how the community comes together. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's what's so important because they got rid of a bunch of corruption right. and they really encouraged um, the officers to get out. You talked about, like, can you talk a little about the permanent Right. The permanent. So, so, um, so that's the basis of patrol. community policing, and yeah, we implemented okay. that years ago. And, and that concept is really founded, funded on, or founded on the, the ability to put officers in permanent beats, so they de develop relationships with the people they serve, rather than moving them around to every other beats. You know, every single day they come to work. So that, mm -hmm. that's 
uh, within the culture of our police department and how we police. I think if you know if you tr if somebody tried to defund the Naperville Police Department, I think our residents would be very upset right. because yeah. we do we provide an extraordinary service to our residents here. And, and may, you, may I add to that, uh, Bob? Because sure. I like to say that from the community aspect. Uh, the communities, when you say defund, they think that you're going to take the police salaries and get rid of the police. Well, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> right, and I don't ever want to fathom not having the police departments around. I think you can reallocate funds Resources, yeah. and channel those funds to community mm -hmm. uh, uh, programs that can better, world, better serve the community within that because defunding someone's uh, budget or something like that, they need to be able to police and they need to have the tools to be able to do that effectively. Right. But I am not with uh, defunding the departments. Well, I don't think anyone here is saying that the Naperville Police no. Department needs to be defunded. Any of the, thank any you. Of the police but of course, departments. Thank, for that thank you all. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. But I think yeah. um, it's a topic of conversation that's it is. really spreading to a lot of communities. And yes. so I think it's important to just talk about with what's what, happening. Yeah. What that really means. And, and, and I think your response to, I mean, you said a couple of things. One was, you know, trying to create a culture within your police department. I think that's right. That's so crucial. You're trying to create a culture within your own police force um, that's serving the community. And when you mentioned the pillars from President Obama's um, task force, one of the things that struck me was this bill is um, the, the language that we use is in the negative term. It's stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. Not saying that's a bad thing, it needs to happen. But I think what's fascinating about the pillars was that establishing expectations, right? Yes. What are we expecting mm -hmm. from our police force? What are we expecting from our community members mm -hmm. um, in that process? So I like how it's framed in the positive as opposed to in the negative and that you've, you've taken a hold of that and really tried to implement it to create that culture. Right, and, and, and just to add, uh, to what Regina said about reallocating mm -hmm. funds. So, so one of the things that that we know in law enforcement, and I got a list of 220 tasks for our police department. We need to reallocate those funds to maybe some other organizations. So we don't put police officers in situations where they can get, you know, in conflict type situations. Perfect example is landlord tenant disputes. It's a civil situation, yet police are responding to those. We find ourselves getting in the middle of an argument about a landlord and a tenant, and then it escalates. Those civil situations need to be handled by another agency besides the police. So let's yes. look for a more positive approach and yes. say, how about some of these other agencies, social agencies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. helping with some of this mm -hmm. policing so we don't put police officers in conflict situations mm -hmm. with residents when we don't have to no, do that. Your point earlier, incident. Regina, yeah, yes. was that the, the escalation, right? When mm -hmm. police officers show up in those situations, something that didn't feel threatening. Yeah, well, there were times when uh, you had a female involved in an incident, they sent for a female cop. That happened all the time. But now that it's a mental health situation, Police shouldn't have to deal with that. They should have mental health staff with them when they arrive on the call to de-escalate that problem because they're not equipped to do that. And that's why they use that use the deadly force instead of necessary force because they don't understand the ramifications of what's going on when it comes to mental health. Absolutely. Before we wrap up, is there any final thoughts that you have that you'd like to share with us and, and with our community? Well, you know, as the police chief in Naperville, I'm just committed to working with all the members of our community to make things better. There's racism, racism in this country. We know it, we gotta own it, and we gotta work together to eliminate it as much as we can. And that's through collaboration, it's through 
being a good listener and continuing to strengthen the partnerships we already have established here in Naperville. Mm -hmm. Regina? And I want you to know prior to this time, we've had Mrs. King, Dr. King, Martin Luther King's sister-in-law, Naomi King, to come out to DuPage County, not on one occasion, but on two separate occasions to talk with the police departments about implicit bias. And um, we know that she was very well equipped to do so, seeing that she's an icon of civil rights. Uh, the other part of it is UP is going to be watching to see what type of policies and terms that are becoming down nationally to see how we can take those particular policies and terms and tailor them to the very land of the law, I mean, lay of the land where we live here in DuPage County to see what we can use right away, which we would call low-hanging fruit that can make change and won't even uh, demand funding. Uh, and that can happen with the mayors and the police chiefs. So we're looking forward to meeting with each mayor, each police chief of their cities to say, what can we do to come better as to come back as a community and collaborate to um, ensure change is going to take place for the better men of all citizens, not just uh, African-Americans, but all people of color, along with uh, the white race. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate being here and I'm honored to be here. Well, we thank you both for joining us. We appreciate you being here. I think it's important to have these types of courageous conversations, promoting allyship. And as you said, Chief Marshall, listening, communicating, um, and being here to find out how we can live together better, be better citizens, be better allies, um, and find our common ground. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think as a resident of Naperville, um, as we look to our community leadership, right, and, and you guys are community leaders for us, it's important for all of our residents to see you, to hear from you. Uh, that transparency, I think, does build that trust. Mm -hmm. And it also helps us all see what our part in all of this is and how we can be agents of change, right? We don't just have to be a leader in the community to be an agent of change. Yes. There's such great leadership here, but we can all step up um, and be a part of yes. that progress and be yes. a part of that change. Yes. So yes. thank Every you so much yes. um, for joining us yes. and thank you all for joining us for Finding Common Ground. Yes.